Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 246, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, Derek and I have spent the last few episodes reviewing movies celebrating their 50th anniversary from when they were initially released in theaters. So we thought it was time to balance things out a little bit with a look at a quote unquote newer movie. I have no idea about anything newer. So it's that's Derek's responsibility. So he wanted me to watch Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle starring The Rock and we're going to get to our review very shortly. But first, time for Derek to educate me on some new stuff this week. So what pop culture have you been able to get around to since we last spoke there, my friend? Hey, Chris, I got uh, I only had a chance to watch a couple of things. I did oh, squeeze okay. in a documentary. Mm-hmm. I don't think many people are going to know any of these things, so we don't have to spend a lot of time dwelling on them. Uh, so the first one I watched actually was recommended from me to me by a friend of mine who knows I'm really into like sci-fi movies and time travel movies. And it's a movie from 2014 that stars Ethan Hawke, and it's called Predestination. Uh, I'll read you the little synopsis here because uh, I really enjoyed it. So it's called uh, for his final assignment, a top temporal agent must pursue the one criminal that has eluded him throughout time. The chase turns into a unique, surprising and mind bending exploration of love, fate, identity and time travel taboos. And uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. And it was one of these ones that um, does a really good job of addressing like the whole idea of a time travel paradox which uh, is when you go back in time and make a change and suddenly the every, you know there's a ripple and everything changes after that. Um, this does a really good job where you think that the time traveler is going to make changes, but ultimately everything they do works itself in. And the story is obviously told in a non-linear fashion since he's time traveling back and forth, but it really worked. It worked really, really well. And uh, like I said, it stars Ethan Hawke and uh, the other main uh, performer in it is uh, the, the actress Sarah Snook, who people may know as um, the one of the daughters in the show Succession. She, she plays uh, Siobhan. So mm-hmm. the two of them are the two. Ooh, I, I like her. I like her. I like her a lot, too. And She's a, uh, she has a really nice body. Uh, she actually not very, a very PC plain guess, character in this one, yeah. but uh, but no, they they both did a really good job. I really liked it. Again, it wasn't like a super duper hit. Uh, I don't ever remember it coming out in the theaters being released, but I mean, it got a seven point four in the IMDb, uh, and uh, it was readily available. Honestly, I don't remember which of the streamers I watched it on, but it was called Predestination. I really liked it. So if you're into time travel movies and you haven't seen this one, I would say give it a go. It was pretty decent. Then just this week, I also watched a more recent release from just a couple of years ago. It's a movie called The Green Knight, and it stars Dev Patel, who many people may remember from Slumdog Millionaire. He was the main guy in that. And The Green Knight came out, I want to say, two years ago. Um, And it's a 
retelling slash interpretation of the um, the story of um, Sir, Ga- Sir Gawain and the Green Knight uh, from the King Lancelot, King Arthur Lancelot um, Arthurian mythos. Um, I wasn't really that familiar with this story, other than I knew it was sort of tangentially related to the King Arthur story, and it got really good critical praise, but. It's really long. It's like two hours and 35 minutes. And I heard that if you're not like super into this kind of story, you may not dig it. And I've been sort of putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Finally had a chance to watch it. I really liked it, but it's very slow and it's very long. It's beautifully shot. Uh, Dev Patel does an outstanding job. This kid is a great Pro Bowl kid. He's probably like 30 now. He is a strong performer. His acting was fantastic. This, the movie looked great, was shot great, the costumes were great, the special effects were great, but it's like this morality tale where the knight is tested against all of the virtues that a knight is supposed to uphold, and so it, it's very long, and certain parts are a little hard to follow, and a lot of it is takes place at night, so it's very dark. I watched part of it on my mobile phone on the subway, and I had a really hard time seeing it, even when I got home and watched the rest on the big screen. Some of the scenes are just really, really difficult to see, properly sort of like that uh, game of thrones episode where no one could see anything and they're like oh trust us the battle was amazing and your tv must be awful it's like i don't know but this one uh the green knight it's not for everyone it's very stylistic but if you're into that kind of thing i would say give it a give it a shot but uh, it's definitely not for everyone sort of a middle of the road review for me and then the last thing I had a chance to watch was a documentary. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. What documentary did you watch? So I had a chance to, it just, I happened to be flipping around and I saw it came up. It was on uh, our Hollywood Sweets channel and um, it said it was from the 2000s, but honestly, I didn't look up the exact date, uh, but I knew it was recent just because of the content. It's called uh, Cinema A to Z or Cinema A to Z. And apparently there's going to be a couple of episodes. This one was Cinema, Cinema A to Z books. And they literally took every letter of the alphabet and they picked an author whose works have been adapted into movies uh, and talked about it. So like A was for Austin, Jane Austen, and they talked about a couple of the adaptations of Jane Austen. Like K was for King, Stephen King. They talk about some of his books. And it was really interesting. Uh, obviously, like it's it's pretty formulaic. And half the fun was trying to guess. Oh, what, what they letter? do for X, I wonder? Xavier they Hollander? No, they Hockey cheated. Hunter? They did Malcolm X. Oh, Malcolm and X. Yeah, so we're like, hey, that's kind of a cheat. Uh, but most of the authors... Although I may not have recognized the author's name, I immediately recognized the work that was adapted into a movie. So all the movies they talked about are like huge movies or exceptionally influential movies. Like P was for Mario Puzo, and so they talked about The Godfather. And they mm. so it, it was it was an interesting uh, an interesting way to tackle this subject and look at it in a way that it was very inclusive. So they had a lot of representation from female authors. They had a lot of representation from authors of color. They had a fair amount, a fairly good amount of representation from uh, Asian authors. And it was topics that were all over the place. They had horror, they had sci-fi, they had fantasy, they had period pieces, they had dramas. And uh, so it was a good sort of like spattering of, of all of these different kinds of movies, but they tied it together because they were all based on books. And uh, so I, I'm going to look it up and see what the, like it's cinema A to Z. And then this one was books. So I'm, I'm sure they've got other topics. I'm kind of curious to see what those mm. topics are. So I watched it on the Hollywood suites channels here in Canada. I, I don't know where it may also be available to stream, but uh, 
yeah, that one was actually pretty decent. So those were my picks this week. Nothing, uh, nothing spectacular, nothing super duper high profile, mm. but uh, I know you, that there's a you new- You still uh, went over your five minutes. Yeah, no, and I knew there, I know there's a uh, the latest offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the new Ant Man movie comes out in a couple of weeks, so we'll definitely be going to see that. So uh, I definitely have a couple of new ones uh, on the. Yeah, you have to you have to let me know what that is because you know I'm not going to see it. Um, yeah. So so I got something for you. So when I was a kid growing up in Midwestern Ontario, Canada, <clears throat> we didn't have a lot of TV channels. Like there was basically the three networks from the U.S. NBC, ABC, and CBS. And there was like two or three Canadian channels. So needless to say, there wasn't a lot of selection to watch on TV back in those days. And I'm talking about the early 80s, like 80 to maybe 84. Because after that, we started to get more channels. You know, I remember. But so, you know, we were pretty much subjected to watch whatever was on TV at the time. That's how it worked back then. And there was one show that used to be on once a week on the main Canadian TV channel and it was a it was a British TV show from the BBC oh and by the way Derek I should point out to you that BBC means something very different to Gen Xers than it does to Millennials I found that out the hard way to them it means oh my yeah go figure but to Gen Xers BBC is the British Broadcasting Corporation, obviously. And back in 80, 81, right around then, I used to always watch Benny Hill. Are you familiar with the Benny Hill show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the yakety sacks at the end. They always yeah. had the... Yeah, that was my favorite part. So I used to I used to love watching this show when I was like 10 years old. And But the thing was, I, I, I didn't always like the whole show. Like, like when Benny Hill would do a song, I didn't always like those really. Yeah. And some of the sketches were just okay. I mean, there was often boobs on the show. So, I mean, there was that. I mean, That's why I watched this little On kid. TV as a 10-year-old in 1980. Go figure. So, I mean, that was you know shocking to see boobs on TV. Um, but the, the, as you mentioned, the show would always end with like this silent short film, you know, and they it would like, you know, there was like no talking. There were just like the sound effects and they would all run really, really fast and the film was mm-hmm. all sped up and they would just play that recurring you know, kind of instrumental music. Like, I always loved that final short film. But anyway, so you know me, I am nostalgic as hell. And I love going back and watching old shows that I loved when I was a kid. So I found some old Benny Hill episodes on YouTube recently. Nice. And guess what? They kind of suck. I was just going to say, how do they hold up? <laughs> not good at all. They, they actually really suck. So not everything that I go back and watch from my childhood is something that I end up loving. You know, at least that was not the case uh, with Benny Hill. So I just wanted to share that with you. Okay. And I also have this. Here's your dad joke of the week. So I figured since we're reviewing Jumanji, welcome to the jungle this week, that I would do a related dad joke for you. So Derek, what happens when the song Jungle Love gets stuck in my head? I don't know. It's driving me mad. It's making me crazy, crazy. That wasn't the Jungle Love song I was thinking of. I was thinking of the one by Morris Day in the Time. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I don't know. You start saying, oh, we, oh, we, oh. <laughs> well, if you like, I could do like Take the Money and Run and said, here's a story about Billy Joe and Bob Sue. I mean, we love them. 
them, we hate them, we agree, we disagree. For Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a way to Wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question. All right, so we've spent the last two weeks, as I mentioned, reviewing films celebrating their 50th anniversary. So we felt it was time to review a newer movie. You know, we like to balance things out. The whole generational thing that we're known for here. So, so Derek, you could have picked any newer movie at all. So why did you go with this one? It's, it's, like a, it's almost like a video game movie. And you're not a huge video game guy. So why did you pick this film? So, I, I like I said, I wanted to pick something new. I wanted mm-hmm. to pick something that was popular that, that our, our listeners would have definitely had a chance to watch and probably many of them already had. That was part of the challenge with doing the 50-year-old anniversary is some of those movies people maybe had never seen before or had not seen in a long, long time. So, you know, I got a buddy who always tells me, he goes, if I don't know the movie, I don't listen to the podcast. So I want to make sure that from time to time we're doing some pretty popular films. Mm-hmm. And so this one definitely checks off that box. Um, the other thing is that um, I wanted to I wanted to get something that was a sequel-ish because I know that we often, well, you specifically, will will rag on sequels, and um, and this one being a sequel of the original Jumanji from the '90s with Robin Williams, and then this one actually spawned a sequel on its own. So I guess this would now be part two of a three-part series if you think of it that way. Um, plus, it, this this to me is just a fun movie. I've watched it a few times. I really like it. Um, it, it has decent performances from the the leads i mean again they're none of them are winning oscars but i don't think any of them really thought they ever had a chance at that kind of thing in this kind of movie like i find the rock is 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 a good entertainer you know exactly what to expect when you go to see a movie starring the rock and i found this one delivered on all on all accounts and honestly i'm not a big fan of kevin hart and i'm not a big fan of jack black but i thought they were both excellent in this movie and we can talk more about that as we go through it yeah we're going to agree on some things here i remember you had said oh you can watch this movie with your kids and i didn't watch it with my kids and I'll be honest with you i'm kind of glad because there was a few things in there that are maybe not all that appropriate for kids <laughs> you know no keep in mind you know i say that and then i let my kids watch all these like 80s comedies so just take that with a grain of salt i guess yeah but, but it, it turns out They'd already seen this movie anyway. Because oh, I mentioned it and they're like, oh yeah, we watched that at Grandma and Papa's house. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so, so my parents just let them watch whatever they want, just like they did with me, I guess. So the original movie came out in 1995, starred Robin Williams. I've never seen that movie, I gotta tell you. So coming into this one, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if it was like a sequel or a remake or a reboot or reimagining. Well, and the beauty is you didn't need that that warm up and it had you needed to know stuff coming into this, I would have prepped you. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole idea is this was supposed to be like a reboot of that material. But through the course of the movie, you realize it's actually a, a loosely connected sequel. And we can talk about that as we go through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that was one of the questions I had, because, again, I didn't really have any frame of reference for it. Like I took it more as more of a, of a remake of it. I mean, they kind of frame it as a sequel, I guess, like you're saying. But really, at its heart, it's. It's a reboot or a reimagining for a new generation. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the movie was directed by Jake Kasdan and that's Lawrence Kasdan's son. So I don't know if you're familiar with Lawrence Kasdan, but he is one of the most important screenwriters of my generation. He co-wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
the big chill body heat continental divide. So his son, Jake sort of has movie making in his blood, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it stars the rock Dwayne Johnson, as you mentioned, Jack Black, Kevin Hart. It was made on a budget of about a hundred million dollars and it took in over $962 million worldwide. At the domestic U S box office, the year it came out, it finished, uh, where was it? It was a little way down. It was all the way down 18th. Wow. But it came out December the 20th. So in really, you know, like 10 10 days, days. you know, it it finished 18th. So to be fair, it made most of its box office in 2018 and it finished seventh. Yeah. The next year, even though it took, so it took in $235 million the next year. So it took in 404 million domestically overall. So it was really split between the two. Yeah. But, um, well, and that's, that's a big part of why they made a sequel. You make that kind of money oh, off yeah. the first one. You're it's making a part serious two. cake. So we want to talk about the cast. We, I'll start with the rock. So first of all, I have a question for you. Sure. Is he the rock or is he Dwayne Johnson? Cause he was uh, the rock when he was a wrestler, right? Well, I think uh, I think his movie, like when he's been in professional movies, he's always sort of been the Dwayne du- The Rock Johnson, uh, at least originally. Um, I think he's so well known that any, any variation of that is acceptable. Because like like he was The Rock when he was wrestling. So why would he change to Dwayne Johnson when he went into acting? Like, why not just go with The Rock? Like, remember Sting yeah. from The Police? Yeah. He made some movies. Remember, he was in Dune and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. He was still Sting. Like, yeah. He didn't change his name to Gordon Sumner. Gordon Sumner. You know, when he was an actor, right? And, if you, and even if you just want to use wrestling as an example, Hulk Hogan, he went from wrestling and acting. He didn't suddenly start going by his name, Terry Bolia, you know? That was a know. choice. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Uh... Uh, maybe uh, you know maybe it was just an ego thing it's like if i'm going to be famous for this i want to i want my actual name to be out there i mean i don't hold it against them in any way shape or form performer wants to change their name or keep their name or use a stage name so many of them change their name when they when they go professional anyway like doesn't matter to me so the rock my kids absolutely love him and so it's very popular so i was like okay like why do you like the rock so much and they both mentioned they like how he does the thing with his one eyebrow raised up yeah you know they like that and 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 they're like well he's big and strong and they also think he's really cool and so i'm like is he cool like daddy and they're like no not like daddy no he's actually cool you know (laughs) kids are so mean (laughs) i tell you but i mean so regardless if he's cooler than me he's not by the way um i actually thought the rock was pretty good at this movie Mm-hmm. I was actually yeah, no, I, I thought he was pretty good. He was and like you said, uh, he's he's an entertainer, you know, so I think yes. he's quite entertaining in this movie. So I got to give it to him for that. Like you, though, I'm not a big Jack Black fan either. No, so I never have been going into this movie. I was a little hesitant because I, I don't I just don't like him that much. I Although I should say he was amazing in School of Rock. Like that was the perfect vehicle for his talent. But everything else he kind of sucks in. Like Peter Jackson's King Kong. Oh, God, it was terrible. Although I think everyone in that movie, maybe except for Naomi Watts, she was really good. Um, they were all miscast in that movie. But, oh, man, I couldn't even sit through Shallow Howl. So, so going into this one, I was like, oh, man, I don't know about this. But you know what? I actually liked him in this movie. 
Yeah. In, in my opinion, this is this is the best he's been on screen, at, at least for my tastes. The idea that he's the physical embodiment of a teenage girl who, you know, is all about being pretty and, and outward appearance. And now she's in the body of Jack Black. Like to me, that just that premise is funny. And the, the, what he did with that material. And, and I was reading some of the behind the scenes stuff. And apparently uh, a lot of a lot of this movie uh, was improv and especially a lot of the stuff from Jack Black was improv and uh, and it worked is, you know, it's like you said, he's talented. I may not care for his his abilities, but I'm not going to deny that he is definitely quite talented. I'm just not usually a big fan, but I thought he did a great job. He had this interesting character. He was able to to really just sink right into it. And you you I mean, I believed when I watched this, that this was a teenage girl in the body of Jack Black and not a mid 40s early 50 year old man doing the performance like he sold it that well so um one thing i liked was basically how they made the lead characters be like avatars is that the right term yes to use here derek yep. i'm not sure so they're avatars for the video game and they have to play like the actual teenage characters that inhabit their bodies so yeah. i did actually kind of like that gimmick and I, maybe I, I don't know i guess that's what passes for method acting from millennial yeah. films. I don't know. So Jack Black plays, like you mentioned, the teenage pretty girl. And the thing was, though, as I'm watching this, it kind of struck me. If you didn't know any better, like if you just came in late into the movie and you didn't realize he was basically this pretty, you know, popular teenage girl, you would have thought he was playing some 70s homosexual stereotype. If you just he, dropped in. Yeah, it. you're probably right. But That's I what think, caught me. Yeah. Yeah. But... Again, I think it's unlikely that that a viewer will will make that assumption. Like, again, it doesn't take long into the course of the game that you realize, you know, even through just the actions of the characters, that they are not the people. The people you see on screen are not supposed to be who they really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which was, like I say, a kind of a cool gimmick. Yeah, Kevin Hart, too. I'm not a huge fan of his either. And I didn't think he was all that good in this either. I didn't really care for him in this movie. I, I find, me. again, for me, I, I get he's he's very popular and even like uh, his stand-up for me is sort of hit or miss sometimes i i've seen some of his stand-up where i really enjoyed it but for the most part i'm not a huge fan um and i find when he's in movies he a small amount of kevin hart for me goes a long way and i think that this movie because he's got so many other performers that are considered the stars like this isn't a kevin hart movie this is the ensemble of the four main avatars that it, it has to give each of them a certain amount of screen time while holding each of them back a little bit. And so for me, this was sort of just the right amount of Kevin Hart. The few scenes where he was in where it was like, you know, the scenes where he was shining, I thought he did a great job and I enjoyed his work and I thought he was funny. And I liked the fact that he was supposed to be, you know, the six foot something football player in the small body. And they, they play that for laughs. Um, but I also liked that, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart are clearly friends in real life and they've done a number of projects together and you really get that sense that they they know how to have a good time and work well together on screen and I felt that really came across as well and I think that that probably is part of the reason that I, I enjoyed Kevin Hart's performances more in this than I had in some of his other work and I believe me I've seen a bunch of his stuff so this isn't just one of these things where it's like well I've only seen two movies but it's like no I've probably seen at least 10 of his movies and like I said they're just they're not all for me. Uh, Karen Gillan, I wanted to mention her. She was like that kind of Tomb Raider-ish 
kind of yeah. character in it. I had never seen her in anything before. I didn't know who she was. Uh, you actually had seen her before. She was in Guardians of the Galaxy, which we watched for this podcast. But she was, in all fairness, covered in blue makeup. Oh, maybe that's why I didn't like. Well, I got to tell you this. She alone, for me, was worth watching this movie. My good Lord. She might be one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever seen. She doesn't even look real. Like, I couldn't even just get over it. I'm watching this movie. She looks like she's too perfect. She looks like something out of a video game. Like like well, some teenage boy's dream girl. Or and maybe in this case, a dirty old man. I don't know. But, geez. I, mean, but geez. I think that's a big part of why she was cast in this role, right? Yeah. And then to your point, you mentioned Tomb Raider. And it's like, that's part of the joke early in it. She's like, why am I dressed like this? Why would someone dress like this for this environment? And that was, that's always been the big critique of some of these video games. It's like, they're the male wish fulfillment of, you know, the man is all covered in, in the practical gear and equipment and armor and protective gear. And then the woman is dressed in a, basically a bikini. And it's like, Hey, like, how is that practical useful for anyone other than, you know, the young boys that you're trying to market this game to. So I would watch this movie again, just for her. Well, she is in the sequel, and uh, you know, you know something. I really do represent Gen X pop culture around here. I know that's my job, but you know, something just dawned on me—not just for like the movies and the TV shows and stuff, but I—I I guess because I'm also like I, I sometimes I say some things that are not very PC. No kidding. Know? Yeah, I don't think I ever really noticed that until now. So, am I am I that bad, Derek? No, no, you. But you get the occasional thing that slips out where it's like, mm. Mm, dude, not cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, well, there's going to be a lot of that because she's in this movie a lot and I just want to comment on it. But we'll get back to that. Bobby Cannavale, is that how I say his name? I recognized him. He was like the bad guy. I remember him from Will and Grace and he was in Snakes on a Plane, I think it was. And he was in this Netflix series that my wife made me watch. It was called The Watcher. It really sucked. It was terrible. But Naomi Watts was in it. Man, I'll watch her in anything too. Man, I wouldn't throw her in a bed for eating crackers. Not very PC again, sorry. Wait, you'd share your crackers? That's that's not it's not like so, you. Oh, another another actor that really stood out to me. Early in the movie, when they're still teenagers before they get transformed, um, they run into this old man at this old house. It was Tim Matheson. Yeah. He's really old, but I totally recognized him right away. He's yeah, from of one of my favorite movies of all time. He was Eric Stratton, Otter, in National Lampoon's Animal House. Yeah. So oh, I always like to make that connection, you know, to Gen X yep. pop culture. Right? Yeah, I was I was a little surprised to see he was he, like, again, he's in it for such a small part. The fact that they got an actual actor that was recognized. And again, was he the in like the, the 95 version? No, of it? no, no, not at all. Hmm. Uh, but also at the very end, when uh, Colin Hanks has a small part in it and again, you could have really cast anybody in that. It didn't you know, it didn't have to be someone that was recognizable. Not that he's the, you know, this super duper awesome, amazing superstar that everybody recognizes, but I think he's familiar enough and, and famous enough that people will go, Oh, look who it is. Like that sort of was my reaction. Like, Oh, look who they got to play him. Um, and, uh, so again, it's interesting to see when they put, uh, some famous faces in here. So like during the course of the movie, they meet another character in the game. That's an avatar and it's played by Nick Jonas, who, I, I mean, you may not know who that is, but I'm sure no. your kids do. Uh, he's a, a very popular singer who right. has a pretty successful acting career. And uh, so, again, when he showed up in the movie, I'm like, hey, look who it is. So it's like, you know, he could have could have cast anyone. But it's like, here, we're going to cast this guy. And then the, obviously that was played for laughs because 
the Bethany character played by Jack Black, who's really a teenage girl, sees this young guy. It was just like, oh, my God, he's so hot. Like that was sort of the running gag then through the through the course of the movie. I just have to cycle back to this. For a so am, sure am, I, am I really that on PC? Like, no, no, no. Oh, OK. You're good. You're good. And I'll, I'll call you out when you sort of tread I don't, on the I don't mean to be. I think I'm just stuck in like Gen X. So, um, OK, let's talk about this movie a little bit. It opens up in 1996 and this teenage kid basically finds this board game in his room. And I, I like how he says a board game who plays board games. Like, I think it's it's trying to appeal to the sensibilities of kids watching this movie today. But the scene takes place in 96. Kids still played board games in 96, didn't they? Like, or am I well, just really, really old? So there was a, this is a little off topic, but sort of in the early 2000s, there was like a board game renaissance where games like Settlers of Catan mm-hmm. and Ticket to Ride um, became a thing. And that sort of changed the way people perceived board games. And so through the 2000s and up till now, there's been a tremendous board game, tabletop game resurgence. But in the 90s, not so much. Um, so, so I think that was accurate for the time period. Well, like I say, I've never seen the original movie, but in the original movie, was this a board game yes. that they played? Yes. So is it like now there's like, okay, I know we can just update this for kids today instead of a board game. It's a video game, like totally new concept for a whole new generation. Is that the idea here? Yeah, and you actually see he's you know, at the very beginning, the kids like a board game, wah, wah, and then suddenly it's like, oh, hey, now it's a video game. And then even... When the, the kids, you know, many years later find the game system, it's like suddenly they, they have the necessary technology to make it work. Like it's uh, it's it's like the game will say that it's cursed for lack of a better term or magical. It seems to be updating itself to appeal to the audience uh, in the course of the of the of the movie that it needs to play. Right. Like if it's trying to get kids to play this game so that they can be trapped in the game, you need to appeal to what's going to be popular for them. So. I also liked how the set designer in the movie was like, hey, let's make this out to be like a teenager's room from 1996. Yeah. We'll give the kid a Metallica shirt. And then on his wall, there's a poster of Come On Eileen. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't. But it was no not teenager. also sports stuff. No teenager. Usually, usually that's how they date a movie. They're like, oh, well, yeah. this was a popular sports team or a popular athlete. I, I just thought I think they got it wrong because I don't think any teenager who was into Metallica in 1996 also liked a song from 1982 by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Like, come on, Eileen. I just yeah. uh, it seemed like out of place. OK, so then it cuts to like present day and there's this girly girl, the little, the pretty girl, like you mentioned, and she's taking a selfie of herself. And I love how she like she, she doesn't like the framing of the shot. So she like adjusts the position of a coffee cup on the table beside her like no one's going to notice the coffee cup. No one's going to even notice that there's a table like, there. You know, the hashtag was effortless after she takes all this time and effort to, to make it the oh. perfect shot, fixes her hair, fixes the blanket, turns a coffee cup. And it's like, I think that just speaks to the whole social media um, phenomenon, right? It's like, you can't necessarily believe anything you see online. And the whole idea that people who are trying to present themselves online as being something more than what they are or better than what they are, and this is just another example of that, right? You project that insecurity of, well, I need everyone to think I'm popular and, and pretty. And it's like, well, I can say it's effortless, but behind the scenes, we know it's not. <laughs> so there's our different takes on it. Because I looked at it going, nobody's noticing that coffee cup. <laughs> you know, again, not to be on PC or anything or like dirty, but I mean, like, they're noticing the girl. You know, they're not noticing the coffee. So 
The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, they in the in like the original part of the movie before they get transformed, they get sent to the principal's office. The mm-hmm. actor that plays the principal, he's from Brooklyn Nine Nine. I recognize him, but I couldn't place him, but I did recognize him from stuff. He's married to the chief of police, the guy that you mentioned on our supporting actors thing. I recognize him right away. And then I want to mention something, because again, I'm not very PC. So the kid that plays the lead role, you know, the guy that ends up turning into the rock. Yeah. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room, Derek. I know you're way too polite and respectful, unlike me. You know, I'm, I'm on PC, so I'll go there. The mole. So he's got this big mole on his face. And I, I couldn't stop thinking about that scene in Austin Powers Cold Member with Fred Savage. Remember, he's like, mole, 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 mole. So, hey, hey if, if that bothered you, that's on you. I mean, I couldn't care less. I, <laughs> I, just, I just, I noticed it. I'm like, personal, oh you know, I mean, it's a thing. And, and, the, and that actor's been in other stuff. Like he was in oh, yeah. the uh, the M. Night Shyamalan film that came out a couple years ago called Old, which I actually really liked. He was in that for a little bit. And uh, I'm just looking at his IMDb. Like he's been in a lot of stuff. So the kids get sucked into the video game. And then this is where we have the, the, the gimmick is, is set in place. So, so Molly there turns into the rock and the football player turns into Kevin Hart. The nerdy girl turns into the hottest girl ever. And the pretty girl turns into Jack Black. And then just when they're kind of setting up this whole concept and they're like, they're all kind of realizing, oh, we're these avatars in this game. This hippo comes out of the pond and eats Jack Black. And it's like a total ripoff of Deep Blue Sea. Right? Remember that? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. But That's yeah. the first thing that went through my mind when I saw it. Unlike in Deep Blue Sea, when they kill off Samuel L. Jackson, like halfway through the movie. In this one, they each have three lives, right? right. In true video game spirit, which I thought. And I think cool. that's part of the reason they needed to kill a character off immediately is so they could establish, establish that, that because it becomes an important plot point later on. Right. And then and then right after that, the hot girl blows up. And then I was like, oh, I'm turning this movie off. No need to watch this anymore. You know, but then she came right back. So I was I was back in. So it was all good. There you go. This is kind of where the movie starts to get into some material that's not all that kid friendly. So Kevin Hart then declares that he has to take a leak and then it starts like so Jack Black who keep in mind is this like teenage girl he's like oh no I gotta I gotta go too I've been dreading this all day (laughs) and then and then Kevin Hart goes oh I checked my note already I'm happy to admit that there was one thing I brought from the outside world with me you know he's (laughs) alluding to his penis size I guess and then Jack Black who's really the girl takes a peek at him <laughs> and Kevin Hart's like, Hey, you looking? I was like, okay, what's this? What's going on in this movie? Sorry. Let me back you up. Yeah. You're the father of two young boys and you think that scene would have been inappropriate. Come on. Your boys have probably both done that already. No, but I'm just That's saying like, it boy started thing. to get into like some stuff that I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Like it just no, seems questionable. Jack Black. I like how he tries to make the, the hot girl feel better about herself. Cause, cause the hot girl's really the, the nerdy girl, right? Just, it's kind of hard to keep it all straight. Martha. He tries to make her feel better. And he's like, oh, you're such a babe. And, and she totally is. And by the way, Derek, you have my permission to nominate any other movies that that girl was in. Like you have carte blanche. So well, she's been in about nine Marvel movies. Yeah, well, bring them on. So, okay. I want to talk about some scenes in this movie. So there was the scene with the black Mamba. Remember where, where, where the, the snake is in the basket? And, the, and oh, they, yes. They tried to get into the basket to find the missing piece. And then I thought it was funny because they're they're like, oh, I remember if you have a staring match with a snake, you know, you could do that. 
And then The Rock is like, okay, who's good at staring? And Kevin Hart just starts blinking like yes. crazy. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, actually. Yeah. I don't really like him that much, but that was pretty funny. And then I also want to mention the Jonas brother. You brought him up. When he finds out that Jack Black is really a girl, and then Kevin Hart's like, in real life, you'd probably want to hit that. So oh, it's yeah. not just me that's un-PC, Derek. Yeah. You know, it's going on in this movie, too. And then the Jonas brother makes them the round of margaritas. That was funny. So, yeah, here's the big difference between Gen X movies and millennial movies. This scene. So, in a Gen X movie, the teenagers would all drink alcohol for the first time and love it. In the millennial movie, the teenagers drink alcohol for the first time and they spit it out. Was, again, funny. I know, and then Kevin Hart, I think, represents sort of the the Gen X teenagers in this scene because he's like, warm up my drink for me. And then he's like, he says to the other character, you going to drink that margarita? And then he ends up even getting drunk. And then he's like, well, I only had like three margaritas. And then someone says to him, yeah, but you're like half your size. Because he was like a football player, right? Now he's like little Kevin Hart. So, But I think I think the idea with that is it speaks to who they are in real life, that they're not part of the popular crew. So they're not going to parties. They're not drinking underage. They're not doing these things that typically are, are seen as uh, rebellious acts by yeah. young people. Um, and I, I mean, that spoke to me because I know like with my peer group, we didn't do parties and things like that. We were nerds. We weren't invited to anything like that. We didn't drink when we were in, in high school or anything like that because we were just nerds. We would come back and read comic books and play Dungeons and Dragons. It's like it wasn't until we went to school before people really started to like, hey, well, I'm going to see how many drinks it takes before I throw up. Like, uh, but, you know, I think that's that's almost like that um, sort of a, a rite of passage. And for for a lot of sort of quote popular people they they sort of have that rite of passage much earlier in their in their childhood largely because they are part of of situations that it's more appropriate things like i'm on a sports team or i'm one of the cheerleaders or something of that nature so that that was sort of what i took away from that yeah so this movie is an interesting case study because in how you can approach it from due to two different looks you know Mm -hmm. like i'm approaching it from a certain way with sort of my gen x mentality and then you're looking at different ways. But speaking of the Gen X stuff, the Jonas brother makes a couple of 90s references because he's actually from 1996. Right. Actually, sorry, let's go back for a minute. When he was yep. making the, the when they were at his little uh, base camp and he was making mm-hmm. the margaritas and they find the thing carved on the wall there that said whatever so and so built this. That's a reference to Robin Williams character from the first movie, because the first part of the premise of the first movie is. Two kids in the 1960s find this board game and start playing it. And Robin Williams, as a little boy, draws one of the cards in the game. And basically it says you will be trapped in Jumanji until somebody rolls an 11 or something like that. And then they stop playing the game. And then 20 years later, two other young kids find the game and start playing it. And when one of them rolls an 11, out pops Robin Williams. And he's been like, I've been trapped in Jumanji for 25 years. And so that's sort of a little wink, wink callback to the original Mm. movie. Oh, that's good to know. So other callbacks to like the 90s and stuff. The Jonas Brother, he says, oh, man, that's fly. And nobody knows what he's talking about. And then he mentions Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. And they're like, yeah, she's like in her 50s, dude. (laughs) And he says. Apparently she was exactly 50 when the movie was made. And then I like when he's like, hey, who wants to get jiggy with it? (laughs) Nobody knows. I So then I got thinking about this and I was like, when were the Jonas Brothers popular? Was it the 90s? Because I no, thought it was no, no. more like in the 2000s. It was, yeah, it was in the 2000s. Wouldn't it have been more inspired casting to maybe have like someone from the 90s, like maybe one of the Backstreet Boys 
or one of the guys well, no, in sync. The, the Avatar is supposed to be like a 20 early 20 year old something if you got someone from the backstreet boys the guy's gonna be like 45 years old well he, uh, yeah i guess he doesn't right because the avatars game, but... are supposed to be like the 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 wish fulfillment kind of thing right it's like you've got the all the characters are supposed to like so the, he's like the the brash pilot so you think it's like oh he's supposed to look sort of magnum pi kind of style like he's supposed to be young and rugged and handsome and and he's got the aviator glasses sort of think tom cruise and top Gun. like like i think that's what they were going for i don't know i would have just loved to see them bend reality a bit and like have like somebody from the 90s in there i don't think that. it would have worked i think i think no like you wouldn't you have needed like a joey vitoni or lance bass or someone no, like that no, no they would have been way too old yeah I also like another reference, kind of a throwback reference. Jack Black at one point, he's like, you know, ever since I lost my phone, my other senses have heightened. And then the Jonas Brothers like, does phone mean something different in the future? Yeah, (laughs) that was kind of an interesting thing to do. So another scene that I want to talk about when the hot girl is flirting with the guards. Oh, the dance fighting. How First, can she I, has to learn to flirt, though. Yeah, yeah, she has to learn to flirt. And, of course, she's like, I can't talk to guys. And Jack Black's like, I'll give you some pointers because he's really the pretty girl, right? I heard most of that scene was improv. Apparently, oh, I would imagine they so. shot, like, yeah. an hour's worth of stuff and just took, like, the best two and a half minutes. So when she goes to flirt with the guards, I mean, how can I describe this scene without being too non-PC? I don't know if I can. So I, I don't really know where you're going with this, so I can't help you. She starts flirting with the guards, and I'll just say this. If I was one of those guards, I would have probably... Jeez. Hell, I was just watching it. I almost... So I'd be like, holy crap. Jeez, man. <laughs> Sorry. It is. That's, never, that's not getting past the censors. No, none of this will. So the Jonas brother dies, you know, and you think he's dead, but Jack Black gives a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Keep in mind, Jack Black is really the pretty girl, right? Yeah. The whole scene just plays out so weird and awkwardly. And then at the end, Jack Black gets off. And again, I'm like. I think they call it a situation. (laughs) Okay. Is that what it's known as in millennial terms? Well, I don't know. That's, I mean, for me, a situation is when someone's got an empty beverage. You're like, yo, you got a situation. And when they get get a drink, you say, get me one. But that's that's the terminology they use in the context of the scene. So, So again, another example where this movie isn't like really for kids in some ways. It's not very PC. It's like me, you know, in that regard. But come on, again. A, a joke about that, like that's that's like young kids are gonna get like well maybe not young young kids but like teenagers are gonna get your thirteen year old's gonna get that joke for sure like that's not I wouldn't call that inappropriate at all. Yeah, um, I also they don't thought, show it right. It'd be different no. if they actually were like hey, what's that protruding out of the front of your trousers? It's like okay, well now we're sort of crossing the line by not showing. He, he's it. watching the he's watching the girl flirt with the cards. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So also then there was the kissing scene I thought was pretty funny. So you get the rock and like the hottest girl ever. And they're, they, they, they tell each other, you know, how they feel about each other. And then I'm like, I was like, like, what's going to happen when he goes back to being moly? You know, mm-hmm. like what's going to happen there? But anyway, they don't know how to kiss. So they're all like, you know, yeah, all over each other. Funny. I have a few issues with this scene. Okay. I don't care how big a nerds they were back on earth. I was a nerd. Okay, but I, let me tell you this: if there was one thing I knew, it was how to kiss. Okay, well that—that's what your pillow told me. <laughs> so, if you remember, there's a scene in Revenge of the Nerds. Okay, when Betty Child says to Lewis, and she's she's like, "Are all nerds as good as you?" And he says, "Yes, we are," 
Because all jocks ever think about is sports. All nerds ever think about is sex. And it kind of resonates with me. And I'm like, you guys are nerds, but I mean, like, you don't know how to kiss. I mean, come on. It's a- I think when you grow up with the internet, there are a lot of unrealistic expectations about how things are going to happen just because there is so much uh, uh, not safe for work content out there that you might have seen and, and gotten the wrong idea about certain things. Oh, I, I thought it was funny. I Honestly, the, the part of that scene that, that I thought worked the least is just the fact that in real life, the Rock is so much older than um, the before the other girl, Karen Gillian. Uh, I think there's like something like 15, almost 20 years between them. I mean, it, that to me just seemed a little weird. So I'm glad that the kiss was pay, played for laughs and it wasn't like a real kiss because I think that might have just seemed a little mm-hmm. weird. And, and I think that the the, move, the people making the movie probably felt that too. So by doing it sort of over the top, outrageously funny, made the scene less cringeworthy than it could have been if they had like this you know, deep embracing kiss in these avatar forms. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to mention the final scene when they put the jewel back in that rock sculpture mm-hmm. was a total ripoff of Temple of Doom, right? That's what I yeah. thought when I was watching it. Honestly, it's been so long since I've seen Temple of Doom, I couldn't tell you. Nah, same thing. So a couple notes about the movie in general. First of all, I felt like the movie was a little bit too long. It could have been about 30 minutes shorter. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought that too. Maybe not thirty minutes shorter, but I definitely felt that it was runtime was a little longer than it needed to be. Um, yeah. I I get that in the Jumanji world, like you had to various levels of the game, and sort of each performer, each avatar, there needed to be a scene where they were able to use their special power or have their weakness exploited in some way. I think for me, it was the fact that you had to use the framing at the beginning and the end of the movie, sort of the real world framing. You need to set that up enough so that you you get a full payoff from the from what's happening in the world. But I think that if you're, you know, the one at the beginning, I think runs a good 15 minutes or so. I think the run at the end runs almost 10 minutes. And it would be nice to trim those down a tiny bit. But I think there was other places in the movies where you could have trimmed the fat a little bit. Um, overall, like I, I think it was pretty decent, but yeah, I think if they could have trimmed anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes out of this, mm-hmm. I think it really would have added to it, probably... especially with the sequel to this. So I found that uh, although I enjoyed the sequel to this movie, it, it brought a, an, an interesting new twist to some of the concepts they present in this. I felt the sequel was absolutely a good 30 minutes too long, which is part of the reason I've only saw the sequel the one time, whereas this one I probably saw, this is probably my sixth or seventh viewing. Yeah, I, I think you're right because the beginning and the end, because they're setting that up. Uh, they need those bookends so they can't cut yeah. out there what they could have cut out was each and every scene without the hottest girl ever in it you just cut all that out that's what sure. I um so they, they call the movie welcome to the jungle so you just know they gave it that title just to open up the door to more sequels you know unlike well, so Re- unlike remo the williams the adventure begins yeah exactly know? yeah <laughs> just, but i think by calling it welcome to the jungle as well they knew they could use the song to tie it in. Yeah. They could play off of the familiarity with the song. I, I'm wondering if they knew they wanted to use this title and then went out and got the song, or if they were like, well, let's see what music we can get. And then when someone's like, hey, we actually have the opportunity to use this, then they're like, well, if we're getting the song, let's change the title of the movie. I, I mean, I don't know, but I think it works well either way. The saddest part of the movie was, you know, at the end, because they had to go back, not because they're not still playing the game, not because they lose their superpowers. No, because the hottest girl ever disappeared. And then in that end scene, so the Jonas brother, I guess, came back and then grew up and got married and had a baby, right? And then now he was Tom Hanks' son. Yes. 
Yeah, That's he says that. Was... He said they asked him what happened. And he said, I woke up in my room in 1996. So I guess the idea was he was only from his perspective, he was only in Jumanji like one or two days of real time. But I mean, like, why did they use Tom Hanks son? Like, he didn't look all that much older than the Jonas brother. Like, why not just take Jonas brother, give him some like makeup or CGI or something and just make him look a little bit older? Well, remember that the, the Nick Jonas was the avatar in the video game. You would have to look back to the performer that was playing the young kid in the 90s who honestly, I don't oh, remember what he looked like. Oh, yeah, yeah, it kind of confused me. I, I, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so do you want to rate the movie out of 10 for me? Um, I think I'd probably give it a seven and a half or an eight for what it is. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I would say definitely a seven and a half, maybe an eight, depending. I mean, I like I said, I watched it again this week. It's probably my sixth or seventh time through at least. Yeah, I'll go with an eight. I really enjoyed this one and I would definitely watch it again. I would definitely recommend it. Uh, it was fun. It had some memorable lines. It had some great scenes. There was certainly wasn't a perfect movie, but, uh, but I think, uh, again, for my money, I think this was, Jack Black at one of his best performances. I, I thought Kevin Hart was good in sort of, you know, small doses, but his mm -hmm. doses were great. And uh, The Rock, I mean, is he, he rarely, rarely has a, a terrible performance, but this was definitely, in my mind, one of his better performances. Um, no, I, I think an eight is fair for me. Mm, that's pretty high. I'll give it a six, but I will say this. That is one of the very few movies that you've ever had me watch that I, I think I would actually watch it again if I had the opportunity to because it was quite entertaining. Nice. But I, I'd probably watch oh. it again for, well, you know the reason why. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you say that we have some fun with Caveman? So I want to talk a little bit about remakes, reboots, and reimaginings. Okay. Yeah, and we've we, done this show before. We did this like back in like season two. Of this show, of this uh, podcast, we've done a few sort of variations yeah. of this theme. It, it, there's, it's a deep, uh, it's a deep mind. There's a lot, of, a lot of good topics to cover in this category. There is, and a lot of remakes don't use the original title of the film oh. that they're, they're remaking. Right. That's so here's true. how this that is going to work. Okay. I'm going to give you the title of the remake. I'll give you the year or two. Okay. okay. And you have to name the title of the original film that it's Ooh. a remake of. These are okay. all films that are remade or rebooted or reimagined or whatever the hell you call it okay, these days. Okay, okay. But it, the remake has a different title than the original, okay? Okay. So 1997, Flubber with Robin Williams. Oh, yeah, that was um, The Nutty Professor. No, Ooh. no, The Absent-Minded absent Professor. Yes, The Absent-Minded Professor. Yes, it was a remake of The Absent-Minded Professor. Yeah. All right, 1987, Throw Mama from the Train was a remake what 1951 film was that a remake of? Was that uh, Strangers on a Train? Sure was. Okay, 1997, The Jackal, starring Bruce Willis and Richard Gere. Oh, yeah. It was a yeah. remake of a Phil Seymour Hoffman in that, too, I think. Um, yeah, 1973 film it was a remake of. Had a different was title. it the, the Day of the Jackal? Sure was. Okay, 1982, The Thing. John Carpenter's film with Kurt Russell mm -hmm. was a remake of a 1951 film. What was the original title? Yeah. I, I just listened to one of our old podcasts about monsters in movies, and this mm -hmm. was on my list. So the, the original was called The Thing from Another World. Yes. All right. 1996, The Birdcage with Robin Williams again and Gene Hackman. It was a remake of a 1978 film. What was the 1978 yeah. film? It was called Le Cage aux Faux. It was French. Yeah. I never really knew French all that well. So, you know what I used to think Le Casual Fall translated to in English? No idea. 
Jeez. Remember, that, I'm not great PC. That's one of your PC. Yeah, we're calling yeah. you out on that one. Yeah. That won't make it past the censorship. No, of course not. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> 1983. Never Say Never Again. Bond film with Sean yeah. Connery. Yeah. What 1973 film was that a remake of? Thunderball. Yes, it was. Staying with Sean Connery in 1981, he made a movie called Outland. It happened in space. But it was actually yeah. a remake of a film from 1952 with Gary Cooper. Do you know the film? Mm, I do not. I know the Sean Connery one, but I don't know. what. I had no idea it was a remake. It was actually a remake of High Noon. Really? Yeah. I've yeah. seen High Noon. Okay, I didn't know that. All right, 2005. This is a pretty easy one. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp was a remake of a 1971 film with Gene Wilder. What was the original? I mean, I, mean, I know the book was called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I think the original movie was, wasn't it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? It was. Very good. All right. Uh, 1960s, The Magnificent Seven. It was directed by John Sturgis. Had oh, Yule yeah. Brenner, Steve, Steve McQueen. Yeah. What was that a remake of? It was nineteen. That was uh, Seven Samurai, wasn't it? Yes. Kurosawa. Okay, mm-hmm. 1979. Heaven Can Wait. Was directed by and starring Warren Beatty. It was a remake of a 1941 film of a different title. What was the title in 1941? So... I'm going to take a wild guess because this movie was again later remade in like the 90s or early 2000s and I'm going to just go with that title which was Down to Earth. No, actually the 1941 film was Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Wow, okay. Did you like Down to Earth? Did you like that movie? The Chris Rock version? Yeah. You mentioned hey, it. I was wondering. It was it was okay. Have you ever seen Heaven Can Wait? I have not. Heaven Can Wait is absolutely fantastic. You know I'm going to say that cuz I love What year did it come out? Was 1979. It? Wow. It okay. was fantastic. Just, oh, I, I can't even say enough about it. It's so good. Okay. And the last one, this is a pretty easy one. It's from 2006. Um, you made me watch this movie for the podcast, Eric. The Departed. What film was that a remake of? Oh, yeah. That was, um, oh, it was, it was the play on the word. It was Infernal Affairs, I think it was called. <laughs> Pretty close. It was from 2002. It was called Internal Affairs. Internal Affairs. I'm going to call Balderdash on that one. I think we're going to look that up and have a correction note next week. All right. Well, we'll definitely do that. So that's fine. So next time, what we're going to we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at that and see if I got sure. it wrong. Maybe I did. Um, but next time, we're going to have a, a topic to do one of our top five lists. So we'll do that. Um, so in the meantime, Derek, uh, try to watch like some more newer pop culture to come back and educate me on. Uh, so, you know, try and get me out of my old stuff, you know, so I don't just stick to my horrifically non-PC ways, you know, as we've discovered tonight. So uh, until then, uh, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.